Hasn't it been great this morning to be in God's presence? You know, our God is so good to us. And today we just continue to celebrate the risen Savior. Turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 20. John chapter 20. We'll begin reading at verse 1 in, in just a little bit. John chapter 20, verse 1. Today we begin a series entitled Defining Moments. I've been looking forward to this series. We're going to walk with Jesus after the resurrection through Pentecost Sunday, the Ascension and Pentecost Sunday. It'll be an exciting time as we look at some of the defining moments that the disciples faced. Because those defining moments speak to us. They help us on our journey of faith. All of us have defining moments in our lives. We have those defining moments, you know, the, in grade school. I was one of the youngest and smallest that, when I started school. And so that was kind of a defining moment for me throughout my academic career. It wasn't until my junior year in college that I realized that I'm as smart as the rest of these people. <laughs> defining moments. The college that you choose, whether you choose to go to college or not, that's a defining moment. And then the choice of that college. I chose to go to Mount Vernon Nazarene College. And, and I'm so glad I did. I, I chose it because, well, the Lord called me into ministry. I did not even know that we had Nazarene colleges. I've been a Nazarene for about a year. And uh, this guy showed up at our church. His name was Jim Radcliffe. He's now a missionary in Papua New Guinea. He's a doctor. And uh, at that time, he was a student at Mount Vernon Nazarene College. And, and he told me about this college. Well... I had other plans, but the Lord had just called me that day into ministry. And that night in an afterglow, I filled out an application. Four weeks later, I was off to Mount Vernon. I sold my parachutes. I had two at the time, accumulated that money, and headed towards Mount Vernon Nazarene College. Well, I'm glad I did because it was there that I met Debbie. You see, there were defining moments. The choice of the college that I chose made a difference. I remember... Being in a service and praying and asking God's will, God's direction. How Lord, how, Lord, do I know that this is the girl for me? And as if the Lord smacked me on the back of the head like Gibbs smacks Dinozo. <laughs> the Lord said, hey, you've been dating for three years. You're treating her like your sister in Christ. You love her for all the right reasons. Marry the girl. I didn't hear an audible voice. Just this overwhelming sense of God's direction. Defining moments. There are defining moments in our lives. When I was a junior in high school, my hometown was hit by one of the largest tornadoes to come across the U.S. I grew up in Xenia, Ohio. And in 1974, on April 3rd, an F4, F5 tornado came through. My hometown. I, I heard this young lady come into the high school. There was about 30 of us practicing on a drama. I was backstage working on a set. And, and we heard this screaming, there's a tornado, there's a tornado. And so everybody kind of went out and ran to the hallways and looked. And, and I sat on the front of the stage thinking, good grief. Well, as they began to scream, I realized how serious this was. And I went out, and there was this great big mass about from here to the river to me. 
It was a tornado a half a mile wide in path. I could see the tail whipping around from time to time. I I saw the football coach's house just go disappear before my eyes. And as it began to make its way across the pond from the river to here, I realized we were in danger. And so I I yelled to the group, get around the corner and assume the bomb position. (laughs) Many of you who grew up in the 60s, you know what that means. You know, we we were afraid that the atomic bomb was going to come. And so they had these drills that you would get underneath your desk and and put your head between your knees and kiss life goodbye. (laughs) Because there was no drill that was going to protect you from an atomic bomb. Well, I said, get around the corner and assume the bomb position. And so we all did. And, and as soon as the winds came, we realized that wasn't going to work. And, and so we laid on our stomachs and the debris started falling all around us. The noise was so intense. They say it's like a hundred freight trains. It was so loud. I was screaming at the top of my lungs. And I could not hear myself scream. I knew in that moment that I would die. The debris was hitting me, uh, uh, lockers were falling all around us, and I knew in that moment I was going to die, and I knew I wasn't a Christian. I was far from God. And so I prayed, Lord, forgive me of my sins. I was smart enough to pray the sinner's prayer. Well, the eye of the tornado came, and there was this eerie peace for a split second, and then it started up all over again, and then it passed. Well, as the winds passed, so did that initial commitment. But I couldn't get away from the pull of God. You see, I was like many teenagers. I felt like I was invincible. You know, I was jumping out of planes. I was flipping off of bars. I was doing all these, flipping on skis, doing all these great things. Invincible. But on that day, I knew that I could die at any moment. And the Holy Spirit kept drawing me to him. I had a hard time sleeping after that. You see, I started examining my life, and I knew my life was far from God. I wasn't living a life that God had called me to live. And the Holy Spirit just kept speaking to me. A few months later, a young girl invited me to church with her, and, and I went to this Nazarene church that didn't have a building because it had been blown away from the tornado. You see, the tornado killed 33 people in my hometown. It bulldozed a path a while my, 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 half a mile wide, destroying 1,400 buildings. The church of the Nazarene was one of those buildings. So I was invited, and I went to this church in Bellbrook, Ohio. It wasn't even able to have a service in Xenia, in my hometown. And we went to Bellbrook, and then we went to the junior high there in Xenia, and it wasn't very long after I started attending the church that I accepted Christ as my Savior and Lord. There have been many defining moments in my life, but none as significant as that moment when I became a follower of Christ. The most important decision of my life was to follow Jesus. Andy Stanley made this statement. Direction, not intention, determines our destination. The direction we choose, not our intention, determines where we will end up in life. 
I'm not saying we're saved by our works. We're saved by God's grace. But narrow is the road that leads to eternal life. And broad is the road that leads to destruction. Direction, not intention, determines our destination. This is true financially. This is true relationally. This is true professionally. This is true academically. But it's also true spiritually. So there's one central question to the message today. What direction are you headed? Are you on the narrow road that leads to eternal life? Or are you on the broad road that leads to destruction? John Wesley wrote in his journal, It's true that what they say, hell is paved with good intentions. You see, it's not the experience alone, but it's obedience. It's following the voice of God. It's being sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. It's being transformed into His image. It's allowing the potter to do His work with the clay. Romans 12.1 says it this way, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. You see, it's not just about goosebumps on Sunday, and we've had a great service here today. It's what happens in our lives from Monday through Sunday. It's what we do with the call of God. Are we on a road that leads to destruction? Or are we walking the narrow road that leads to eternal life? Do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good and pleasing and perfect will. So the central question today is this. What direction are you headed? Mary and Peter and John experienced a defining moment in their life that would set the direction for Generations to come, they witnessed an empty tomb, a tomb that we observe today as we look at the story in John chapter 20, beginning at verse 1. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb. It's interesting to note that John not only mentions Mary, John John only mentions Mary. He doesn't mention the other women. In Matthew and Mark and Luke, we find that there are other women who are mentioned in this story, but John only mentions Mary. Now, the reason for that is because Mary is the most significant part of this story. And so, in essence, John is telling Mary's story. In her encounter with the risen Lord, Mary Magdalene, who went to the tomb and saw that this tomb had been removed from the entrance, Now, theologically, this is really, really important for us because this whole idea of the bodily resurrection is essential not only to our faith, but essential to our resurrection. 
You see, this all became a reality for us because of a guy named Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus. Nicodemus, um, well, he bought 75 pounds worth of spices to anoint Jesus' body. Now, this was unusual to do, spend that kind of money for someone who was not royalty. But Jesus was the king of kings. And so Nicodemus prepared the body with 75 pounds of spices. Joseph of Arimathea, he provided the tomb. Now, it was late on that Friday. There was very little time for the preparation of the body. It's interesting to note that had it not been for Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea, that we probably wouldn't even have the tomb story to tell. But because of these two faithful followers, we have evidence of the resurrection. You see, typically they would take a criminal off the cross, and they would simply carry their bodies and throw them on the dump heap of burning smolders. And the birds, the scavengers, would come and just consume their bodies. That was the destination for Jesus until Joseph and Nicodemus went to the authorities and asked permission to take the body. And Joseph gave up his own tomb. And so when Mary goes to the tomb, this tomb was provided by these two. And so we have proof of the resurrection because of Joseph and Nicodemus. And it's important to this story because Christ's resurrection is essential to our resurrection, to our faith. She saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter. Even though Simon had denied Jesus three times, Mary Magdalene still recognized Simon Peter as a leading apostle. And he, she ran to Simon Peter. And the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and of course, that was John. Speaking of John, the beloved, and he said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb. She had seen the tomb was empty, and she concluded that the body had been stolen. And then it says, and we. And that we, of course, indicates the women that were most likely with her at that time. We do not know where they have put his body. We do not know where they have put him. Verse 3. So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. So John reaches the tomb first. So we can just conclude John's the faster runner of the two, or John knew a shortcut, but he reaches the tomb first. But when he gets the to, to the tomb, he hesitates. He doesn't go right in. He, he stands at the entrance of the tomb, and he, and he looks in. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there. But did not go in. Then Simon Peter, who had been behind him, arrived and went into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. 
You see, John is clearly describing for us an orderly scene. And this is important. If the body had been taken by grave robbers, if the body had been stolen, the scene wouldn't look like that at all. Any basic CSI would know. I mean, you could just look in the tomb and see the body wasn't stolen. Right there was the linens, as if he came right up through them. And there was the the head cloth folded neatly. Something miraculous had happened here on that day. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. And he saw and he believed. It's interesting as he observed what had happened there that morning. What was undescribable for him. What was undescribable was undeniable. The scripture goes on to say they did not understand from scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their home. One would assume at this point that the other women probably went with them. But Mary Magdalene, she was so grief-stricken. We find her standing outside the tomb crying, the scripture says. I imagine Mary just kind of with her back up against the wall of the tomb, just weeping bitterly. We've all, many of us have been there. A loss of a loved one, a friend. Emotionally spent. Here she is, she's witnessed her Lord and her Savior. The one that she expected would be the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, beaten and hung on a cross. She watched him suffer. And they put him in a tomb. And early the next morning she comes to finish what Nicodemus had started. And the body's gone. This was, this was a terrible thing for her. And I, I just see her there weeping and weeping. Where have they taken him? How can this be? Her mind must have been flooded with all the thoughts, all the images of what she had seen this last week. She must have been emotionally and physically drained. I see in my mind's eye her just melting down the outside of that tomb, weeping. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb. And as she was weeping there, she saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. And they asked her, woman, why are you crying? You see, Mary was so deeply concerned with what had happened to the body. She was mourning the loss, not only of someone she loved very deeply, but now his body was missing. They have taken my Lord, she said. And I do not know where they have put him. 
At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. But she did not realize that it was Jesus. While she did not recognize him, it is stated to us many times throughout the scriptures that there were times that they did not recognize Jesus after the resurrection. We, we think of the story of um, the Emmaus Road, the miraculous catch of fish. They initially did not recognize Jesus. But when he spoke, when he spoke her name, he knows your name. He speaks your name. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it that you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, you have carried him away. Tell me where you have put him and I will get him. And Jesus said to her, Mary. Jesus knows your name. And he calls you by name. He knows, knows a way that's better than your way. He has dreams for you that are bigger than your dreams. He knows your name. She turned around to him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Now, I love this part. Are you listening? I love this part. Jesus said, do not hold on to me. You know why Jesus said that? Because Jesus wasn't a hugger. Jesus wasn't a hugger. Probably a better translation for that is, stop clinging. To me. For I have not yet returned to the Father. Go instead to my brother and tell them, I am returning to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. So Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the good news I have seen the Lord. It's good news for you, it's good news for me. And she told them, that he had said the things that he had said to her. Now the question is, this morning is this. What direction are you headed? You see, there are many defining moments in our lives. But if those moments do not change the course of direction that we're on, we can continue down the broad road. When you have an encounter with Jesus, are you beginning to walk? Walk in the direction that he has for you? A direction of righteousness and holiness? A direction that is bigger than you, bigger than me? Dreams are bigger than your dreams. You see, there are a lot of defining moments along the way. But an experience without a relationship is really quite empty. But when we walk with the Father, 
See, I'm afraid that far too often we, we boil Christianity down to being about us and God's grace for us. And we miss the point. We are to be His hands. We are to be His feet. We are to be His ambassadors of reconciliation. I'm afraid that far too many of us have very little direction, very little intention. You see, it's direction, not intention, that determines our destination. This is true financially, it's true relationally, it's true spiritually as well. When you think about a road, traveling down a road, you wouldn't argue that if you want to go to Florida, you're not going to get on I-69 and go north. You're going to go south. You can go north, and you can pack your T-shirts and your swimsuit and your bags. You, you can throw in your trunk a fishing pole and a net. But if you go north, you're going to end up in Michigan. In my car, there's this little uh, electronic box. It's called a Garmin. And I can put a destination in there. And if I listen to the voice, it will guide me to my destination. But if I get off track, there's this little voice that comes through the box saying, recalculating, recalculating. And oftentimes the Holy Spirit whispers to us, recalculating, recalculating. Sometimes it's in the big things. He's talking to you about your relationships that have to change. Sometimes the Holy Spirit's talking to you about your finances. That you need to put Him first. And you need to seek first the kingdom of God. And, and that's not easy because you've got yourself in such a financial mess. You don't know how to do that. Sometimes the Holy Spirit is talking to you about your children. About the lifestyle you're living before them. And how you're to be a godly example to them. Your intentions are good. Your heart is good. But you're on a destination that's not going the direction you want to tra travel. And the Holy Spirit whispers, recalculating, recalculating. And I say all this as a pastor who loves you very deeply. Be obedient to the Holy Spirit. Sometimes the Holy Spirit speaks to us about anger. Recalculating, recalculating. This week I've had to deal with issues of anger. Recalculating, recalculating. Sometimes the Holy Spirit speaks to us about a root of bitterness. And if we're going to love the world the way God would have us to love the world, we have to be sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Recalculating, recalculating. And the truth is, if every one of us is honest this morning, and if we examine our lives, are you on the chosen path?
Are you on the narrow road? Are you on the road that leads to eternal life? Maybe you're on that road, but for one reason or another, you've got sidetracked just a little bit, and, and the Holy Spirit is speaking to you and saying, recalculating, recalculating. Maybe there's a lot of stuff, and you're far from where you ought to be. And there's a lot of things you're going to have to change. And in order for you to become the person that God has created you to be. But this morning, you want to say yes to God. We've had a wonderful service this morning. But if the grave doesn't change us, if the empty tomb doesn't change us, what will? No more excuses. No more hesitation. But just yes. In just a few minutes, I'm going to count to three. And if the Holy Spirit has spoke to you about recalculating, even in the littlest thing this morning, I want you to stand and say, I want to be obedient to the leading of the Holy Spirit. I'm sitting because I need to stand this morning. He knows your name. He knows your every thought. He knows every tear that falls. And he wants to help you on this journey this morning. Don't stand if you don't mean it. If you're not willing to be sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit, don't stand. But if you just want to say, I, I want to be a testimony to obedience today. I, I know it's awkward. But if not now, when? If not now, when? What road are you on? I'm not talking about experience. I'm talking about a relationship. Being a follower of the Savior. If the Lord's been speaking to you, stand with me. One, two, three. All around this room, Lord, they're followers of Christ. You know their name. Help us to be obedient to your Holy Spirit. Help us, Lord, to be sensitive to your truth. Help us to be men and women of God. Help us to be godly examples to our family. Help us to be godly examples to our church. Help us to be a people who speak truth. Help us to be a people who love generously. Who extend grace and mercy and justice to one another. Help us to be so full of your joy. <laughs> Help us, Lord. Help us, Lord, to be the people of God in our world. So that others might know you and know the joy of what it means to follow you.
Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed.